This is Cuerpa Politica, a podcast about reproductive health, politics and justice in Latin America, funded by the Institute of Latin American Studies and co-hosted by me, Dr. Rebecca Ogden, lecturer in Latin American Studies at the University of Kent. And me, Dr. Rachel Sanchez-Rivera, postdoctoral fellow in sociology at the University of Cambridge. Cuerpa Politica explores reproduction in Latin America through a series of conversations with activists, practitioners, artists, and researchers working in many different contexts. Latin American countries have some of the world's most contentious reproductive health laws and policies, and there are persistent challenges facing the quest for reproductive justice. In these episodes, our conversations with experts will explore contemporary issues, such as those relating to abortion access and obstetric violence, as well as histories of reproductive politics in the region. From the relationship between empire and reproduction, eugenics, 20th century fertility control measures, and beyond. In many of the episodes, we consider culture as a lens through which to understand these contexts, exploring how cultural norms, as well as media and the arts, shape the political, legal, and social realities of reproduction and vice versa. Follow the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you access podcasts, and get in contact with us by our social media at Cuerpa Politica on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. This episode includes a conversation with Dr. Cordelia Freeman. Dr. Freeman is a political geographer and lecturer at the University of Exeter. Her research considers the spatiality of reproductive health in Latin America, particularly abortion access in relation to borders and mobilities and in the context of violence. She has published this work in several journals. Dr. Freeman's doctoral research completed at the University of Nottingham was a multi-method examination of the history of violence on the Chile-Peru border over the course of 90 years, particularly concerning the Chilean border city of Arica, and which included a focus on reproductive health, abortion and HIV. Uh, Dr. Freeman, Cordelia, could we start with quite a broad question? What does abortion access mean to the broader question of reproductive justice in Latin America? How are the two things connected? Yeah, so I see abortion access as just one strand within the kind of broader ideas about reproductive justice. So if we're going back to the kind of sister song definitions of reproductive justice as the right to have children, the right not to have children, and the right to parent with dignity, I think we need to understand, to understand abortion access, we need to understand these wider histories of things like sterilization across Latin America, about poor access to contraception. So there was that recent case in, in Chile where the state distributed defective birth control pills. Um, and that has led to unwanted pregnancies in a country where there is no right to an abortion in Chile, right? Um, as well as things like um, substandard or absent sex education and uh, what support there is to allow people to parent with dignity. So I think we need to understand abortion as one element in all of these interconnected reproductive issues. Um, and abortion access certainly isn't going to solve the other ones, um, but it is a really important element amidst all of these reproductive challenges uh, to allow people with that kind of that one strand of to not have children, um, to allow people to decide when they parent, how they parent, and if they choose to parent at all. And what is the current picture of abortion access in the region? Or maybe you can speak to, in terms of the countries that you've in which you've done research, what sort of factors influence an individual's access to abortion? 
Mm, so I think if we think about it in terms of the legal picture, we're really focusing on two ends of a spectrum at the moment. So we're seeing the impact of what's been called the green tide, especially in places like Argentina. Um, perhaps we'll be seeing some changes in, in Chile. Um, in Mexico this week, there was um, an attempt to legalize abortion in the third state, Quintana Roo, which would be the third state if it had gone through, but it hadn't gone through. But I think we're seeing kind of this um, it is a wave. And I think even if um, things aren't going to be successful each time they're going through the court, we will eventually see these legal changes come through. However, we are seeing on the other side of the spectrum this conservative backlash. So this has been particularly um, central in, in Central America. Um, so, for example, in Honduras, where um, they have made um, abortion rights even more restricted in the future. Um, so really trying to concretize um uh, abortion restrictions. But what I'm interested in, particularly in my moment in, in my work, is that in the midst of all of this, we have all the activists and organizations and networks who are working to provide abortion access regardless of the law. Um, so, you know, whether there are these kind of often quite small legal changes um, in some cases, for example, there are these groups and these activists who are working to, to provide access um, whether or not these, these changes happen. Um, and I think because of all of this work and all of this activism, we are seeing that information about uh, about abortion, about the realities of abortion is improving. Um, in terms of health, safety is definitely improving. So um, things like severe complications of abortion, um, maternal mortality relating to abortion, all of these things are getting better. Um, so in my current work, I'm looking at these strategies of kind of the, this this um, activism and work to um, provide abortion access, provide abortion um, information and knowledge um, in Mexico, Peru and Guatemala. And I'm particularly using the lens of mobility and immobility to um, understand these things. That's fascinating. Hopefully, if we could come back in a minute to mobility and immobility as concepts. I wanted to just ask a question, I guess, in terms of the everyday realities, that those that you're talk- discussing that kind of exist beyond in spite of or um, in parallel to changes in the law. If you are an individual um, seeking an abortion, what kind of technologies are available? Which which kinds of technologies are the ones that tend to be used at the moment in Latin America? Mm, so in my work at the moment, I'm really interested in, I guess, the low tech kind of technologies, um, often be things which are quite responsive and adaptable. So in terms of information, that's things like hotlines. And Raquel Drovetta has been doing really interesting work on, on hotlines. And um, there was a case in, I think it was in Ecuador in, in 2010, when the hotline was um, had to be closed with a court order. But um, because it's a hotline, they could just get a new number. And that could start again pretty much immediately. So it's the responsiveness of this kind of fairly low tech kinds of technologies that I think are really important and things like WhatsApp groups, um, finding a WhatsApp number on a on a website where they say you can get safe um, information about abortion here. Um, that, that's been really effective and um, manuals. So I've been really interested in uh, the kind of manuals that have been created to provide really clearly how to use abortion pills. So often with little diagrams of literally this is where you put it in your mouth. Um, this is how many hours you need to wait between doses. So I think these things have been really uh, important in terms of information. And then also in terms of like the mobility of abortion pills. So um, the way in which abortion pills move, um, I've been speaking to activists who do things like they give it, they give packages to bus drivers who then can take it into a more rural part of the country um, because the postage system isn't um, good enough often for, for these kinds of packages, but they're these informal low-tech networks of passing pills. 
Um, so I'm currently working uh, on mitoprostol, the abortion pill as a technology. Um, and I'm understanding it as I'm thinking about the chemical geographies of mitoprostol. And uh, I found a really interesting set of papers from the early 1990s, which was were being written when when um, academics were looking at how mitoprostol was being used, um, particularly in, in Brazil. And they were describing it in really interesting ways. So as a weak abortifacient, so something which actually isn't uh, a route to a, an effective abortion, but they were describing it as a passport to an abortion. So by taking mitoprostol, it would induce an abortion, and then you could go to hospital claiming you were having a miscarriage and get the abortion finished there. However, what we've seen is that mitoprostol has become a really effective and really safe technology of abortion. So I'm terming this in terms of um, the scaffolding that transforms this chemical, mitoprostol, um, into a safe abortion. So um, all of that scaffolding in between is things like information. So these hotlines, these manuals, getting information out there so people know where to access it, trying to reduce stigma. All of these things transform this chemical into a safe abortion. So that's how I'm understanding technology at the moment is um, what technology uh, means and how it becomes something which is actually uh, effective. That's so interesting. And it also kind of um, challenges a lot of the dominant ways of thinking about abortion access as a kind of state versus individual conflict of interest. And I wondered if you could say something about vehicles as well. You were talking about these creative workarounds that... um, of using couriers instead of the postal system. How are vehicles included as kind of subjects in your research as sites of political contestation? Um, Yeah, so I've been interested in in vehicles, particularly as ways of changing how we understand abortion. So there's been, I think, a range of different vehicles which have been used for this. Probably the most famous one, the one that's been in the news the most, is the Women on Waves abortion boat. Um, And I think this is in the news because it's it's sexy, right? Like it's really exciting to see this, this idea of there's a, there's a boat which goes to countries where women cannot access abortions. It takes them out um, into international waters and therefore is under Dutch law. And therefore they can have an abortion under, under Dutch law. So I've been, that was kind of my starting point into thinking about vehicles. Uh, uh, then I've been thinking, I, I was looking then for kind of other examples of vehicles. So in Ireland, I've been thinking about um Buses that were used to, you know, kind of billboards that they could drive around and you could see information about safe abortion. So, you know, I think there are vehicles in terms of we get on a vehicle to go and get an abortion in terms of getting in a a bus, a taxi, a car, whatever it might be. But then there's also vehicles as sites of political action themselves to raise awareness, whether that's a boat, whether that's a bus, that kind of thing. And then there's also... um, the mobility of pills on vehicles. So, for example, like the the the, the bus driver I just mentioned, um, and you know all other ways in which these pills can can move with vehicles. How is reproductive health in general terms? How is it implicated by mobility or or fixedness immobility? Could you say a bit more about reproductive mobilities as a conceptual framework, and maybe some of the other ways that you haven't mentioned that that's been a kind of productive um, approach in your research? Yeah, so I came into mobility research when I wanted to broaden out from um, simply working on abortion travel. So when I began doing work on abortion, I was researching the travel of women from uh, northern Chile to southern Peru for abortions. Um, but then as I um, that was doing my PhD and as I began to do research um, or at least think about doing research in other places in, in Latin America, um, I think I, I found that I really needed a new conceptual framework to understand 
not just the movement of people, which kind of the idea of abortion travel like vaguely allowed me to do, but also to understand the mobility of information and the mobility of things, so particularly abortion pills as those things. Um, and I also wanted to focus a bit more on immobilities or what's often called in the mobility scholarship moorings or nodes. Um, and this helped me to really understand how immobility can actually be a uh, privilege rather than, I think often we, we see kind of abortion travel as something, it's, it's, a, it's a liberation, right? We get to move, we, there is this kind of outlet um, that we, we can move. So while I continue to look in my research at the mobility of people seeking abortions, um, so for example, in states in Mexico where abortion isn't legal to Mexico City, where um, it has been legal since 2007, but also how it's the mobility of pills that allows for the immobility of people. So rather than having to go through journeys, which often can be um, expensive and time consuming and um, humiliating in some cases and traumatizing um, and perhaps painful. Um, but when abortion pills are the things that are doing the moving, then women don't have to move themselves. So that's how I've been understanding immobility um, within this framework as a um, as a as a privilege. Um, and I think mobility scholarship has been really useful at really focusing on the politics and the power of who gets to move and how people move and what it is that moves. Um, so I think all of that has been really useful to um, to help me with my work on on abortion. Yes, yeah, it's, it's so fascinating. And I think what uh, we've really enjoyed and hoped for with this podcast uh, is looking at different disciplinary approaches to the same some of the same questions to do with reproductive health. Um, reproductive justice, reproductive politics. I wondered if you could say how, if if and how the kind of tr disciplinary traditions that you associate with political geography, with geography, whether that's methods or theories or perspectives, how do you think that has shaped the questions of your research or how those questions are approached and what you think that adds to the current field of reproductive um, studies of reproduction in Latin America? Mm, so in terms of abortion itself, geography has been really shy. Um, I think it's it's not a topic that has been studied for very long at all in geography. So it's only really been within the last 10 years that kind of me and some other geographers have begun writing about abortion. But it, it was always just a very um, briefly mentioned topic before then, rather than something actually studied in its own right. And this change that has allowed geographers to study abortion um, is completely thanks to uh, feminist geographers who've really helped to bring things like bodies and emotions into geography. But I think that the best kind of disciplinary tradition, if you can call it that, of geography is its openness and its pluralism. So within geography, there is no method that you're expected to use or even set of methods. There is no approach. Um, instead, I think you can kind of um, create your own patchwork of of, of bringing things together um, that you bring together through spatiality. And I think that's a kind of commonality that, you know, in, in one department, we have people working on volcanoes and rivers and uh, ecosystems and remote sensing. And then there's, you know, me on, on abortion. And it's a really strange uh, mix, I think, often. So I've drawn on a, on a range of, of theories within my geographical research, but they're definitely not always geographical. So mobility being one, like we just mentioned, geographers have been really important. In, in the what's been called the new mobilities paradigm, but it's certainly not a geographical concept alone. Um, I've been using the idea of via politics, which is from William Walters, who's a, a political theorist. Biopolitics, you know, that's not from within geography. But I'm interested in bringing these together to think about how they work in spatial ways and in how these theories 
um, work as lenses for me to understand abortion in, in Latin America. So I think in my experience, being a geographer and working as a geographer has been less about using specific methods or, th or theories from within geography, but more about what being a geographer and working as a geographer allows me to do in terms of that plur plurality and that, um, that openness. Yeah, because you've also worked on the politics of um, the representation of abortion in popular culture, not just Latin American popular culture, um, but English speaking popular culture. Could you tell us a bit more about that research and what you found? Yeah, so I'm interested in popular culture as a site where ideas around abortion are made and contested. And I haven't worked on this in, on, in Latin America at all, but um, I've got a paper that's coming out soon in, in culture, health and sexuality, uh, where I was looking at some TV programmes. Um, and this came out actually because it was when I got grounded with the pandemic. And I'd been wanting to write this paper, but I was meant to be on fieldwork in Peru and then suddenly couldn't be. Um, so I thought, OK, finally, I can get around to looking at these um these TV programs. So I was researching um, sex education, shrill, euphoria and glow. And the argument that I'm making in these papers is that it's great that we're showing more progressive abortion storylines. So we're, sh we're showing abortion as something which can be a positive, positive event in people's lives. And that having an abortion doesn't always have to be a traumatic event, that actually it can lead to a positive change in, in people's lives. However, these storylines all include inaccuracies. So in terms of when we look at the demographics of who gets abortion, abortions in TV compared to the demographics in real life, um, they're pretty skewed. And in terms of what kind of abortions access as well, on, a, on TV, we pretty much only see um, surgical abortions, when actually for, for first trimester abortions, they're, they're mostly medical in places like the US and the UK. So we're not seeing these kind of accuracies um, come through. Um, and I think kind of the, the broader issue with these programs is that they don't show the structural barriers to abortion. So abortion looks like a, a choice. And if you decide to make that choice to have an abortion, you can make it. It happens in a vacuum in these TV programs. There often might be a discussion with a friend saying, I'm thinking about having an abortion. But in terms of travel to a clinic and cost and legal issues, these are so rare to see in TV. So um, I've been thinking about these uh, TV programs as post-feminist in the way in which they emphasize personal choice and happiness and your emotions and your career. So in these, in these four programs, it's always a, a good move for their career or for their schooling, um, rather than the structural conditions and barriers to abortions, which actually in reality, so many people face. This is such an interesting topic to, to extend, I think, to Latin American cultures, particularly because... Um, as you mentioned before, the kinds of information um, that are accessed are often in unexpected ways. It's WhatsApp and it's it's often in um, through um, channels of communication, form cultural forms that we ha maybe haven't considered so much. And so that I think is a really exciting field. Um, and the last thing that I wanted to ask you, um, I guess a lot of people who are listening will be aware of the fact that um, Argentina recently legalised abortion. This was a kind of landmark moment, uh, much celebrated. What's next then in terms of the politics of abortion access? What kind of impact do you think um, this event has had, the, the event in Argentina has had elsewhere in the region? Yeah, so while I, I hope it didn't sound too kind of sceptical of the law earlier on, I do hope that the law continues to change um, because it is a really important component of reproductive justice. 
But we do know that in some contexts, these fights are going to be really long. It's going to be years until we see legislative change. So um, in the meantime, I think it's so important that we push for things like having pills made available. So um, misoprostol and mifepristone are both um, on the essential medicines list of the World Health Organization. But mifepristone is almost impossible to find in Latin America because it's only available for it's only used for uh, for abortions. Uh, whereas misoprostol is more available because it has other uses, particularly for stomach ulcers. Um, so getting, I think, mifepristone as well as misoprostol available uh, is really important and making sure they're safe. So there's too many pills that are sold out of date or that are ineffective. Um, and disseminating accurate information. So those kind of handbooks and things are really important so that uh, we have that scaffolding that transforms these, these chemicals into an abortion that is safe and it's effective. Um, and kind of, you know, the wider project of, of working to reduce stigma. So I think also when we're pushing for these legal changes, we need to make sure that it's broad decriminalization rather than these kind of case by case um, abortion will be legal in this specific circumstance. Um, because in those cases, in those extreme cases, most abortions remain a crime and it isn't really helping abortion access. Um, more broadly. Um, and also we need to make sure it's inclusive. So I think Argentina has been really um, great on this so far. Um, their wording is it's something like um, abortions will be made um, available to women and people with other gender identities. So I think that's been really key. And yeah, partly surprising. I think they were so um, progressive on this. Um, but yeah, we need to make sure that it's um, abortion is available when it becomes legal, not just to to women, but also to to trans men and non-binary people. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for talking to us and answering the questions that we have. Thank you to the Institute of Latin American Studies, School of Advanced Study, University of London for generously funding this project. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cuerpa Politica. Join us for a new episode every fortnight and click on the follow button to receive notifications about podcast episodes. 